the IZ Robot Stuck at Home Show. Hey kids, it is me, it is your dude, I see robots, we're back for another super exciting, super fun, super fulfilling episode of the Suck at Home Show, that's the one where you take your glad moods, and your sad moods rather, and turn them into glad moods, this time we might take those glad moods and turn them into sad moods, because we're going to be breaking from the format, I got a, I got a question on the tweets from my man Potomac that I like, that I like a lot. This is my homie from the last hometown. He's he's a comic strip artist. He's working on something really great right now. We've talked about this guy before. He keeps a he keeps a list of disaster movies on YouTube that I that I highly recommend. The last hometown on YouTube. Go go look that up. But my guy Potomac, he sent me he sent me a question that I thought was dynamic, that I thought was great, and I'm just like you know. I'm going to answer this one, and it's going to take as much of the episode as it takes. It might take the whole thing, it might take a smudge of the thing, but I, I want to give it the attention that it deserves. Let me, um, let me log on my tweets right here so we can see exactly what my guy said, so we can, um, we can get it right. Where was it down here? It goes, uh, one day ago from now, Potomac of the last hometown. Hey, I see robots. Question for the uh, Stuck at Home show. I know you have an A, a B, and a C team shell for your GI Joes. If you could make a seven-member team of Joes, who would be on your team? He also wants a team of Cobras, but we'll have to, uh, we'll have to deal with that one at a different date because, uh, I think the Joe team is gonna, gonna take a while. But this is, this is something I've actually thought about before. Like, who would be my Joe teams for dirt certain, uh, situations? Like, let's say you had a jungle fight. Who do you pick? Let's say you had a desert fight. Who do you pick? Let's say it's like a hostage rescue situation. Something like that. Let's say it's like, uh, the first issue of G.I. Joe Special Missions and a plane has been hijacked. And they gotta go in there and, and, and set these, uh, set these anarchists down with, with lethal force. Uh, I like this one. I thought it was a good way to bring something that I think about a lot into the show without having to be like, hey man, let me tell you how I pretend to play with my toys. Somebody else out there asked me how I pretend to play with my toys. So, uh, let's, let's think about this. I haven't really put a ton, a ton of thought into the actual format of the show. I think we'll just, I think we'll just do it like countdown style. We got seven Joes to make the ultimate strike force. And I'm, I'm kind of going at it like this. I'm, I'm going by Space Jam, the movie Space Jam rules, where it's going to be like G.I. Joe versus Cobra for complete domination. The winner will win, the loser will be destroyed. You got to put your team out there with the greatest chance of victory because it's all on the line. This is for all the marbles. This is for everything. So, without further ado, I think we're going to I think we're going to rate it. There's a lot more ado. I keep I keep saying we're going to go ahead and then I then I come up with something else. With with some further ado, we're going to do it this way. We're going to start with the actual number one. Like, who would be my number one draft pick? And then we'll move down to the uh, the number seven. Because I think, I kind of think it gets more interesting as it goes along. Because I feel like your first picks are obvious. You got to pick your top guns. You got to pick your Mount Rushmore guys. But then the dudes who are going to be along for, like, special situations. I think those are the interesting ones. So let's, let's start with the number one draft pick in the G.I. Joe seven-man Space Jam draft. <laughs> Number one. Wow, that was, uh, that was weird. My number one draft pick of all the G.I. Joes that I have. I should have, I should have said this before. This is only G.I. Joes that I own. This isn't like every Joe in history. Only ones that I have in my collection. My number one draft pick is the 1984 
mail away Duke. I think that you gotta go from the top. You gotta pick your leader right off the jump. And Duke, Duke to me exemplifies G.I. Joe. I, I have a fable. I have a story that, that sort of illustrates this. When I was watching um watching some of Real American Hero cartoons on TV one day and the wife walked in and she kind of she kind of sat down and watched for a minute and when she was kind of asking some questions and stuff, she kept going, and that guy, G.I. Joe, what is he doing? And that guy, G.I. Joe, what is he up to? And when she said G.I. Joe, she meant Duke because as a kid, she would see G.I. Joe after like Jim and the Holograms or something like that for a few minutes and she didn't really follow it or pay attention to it all that much. And she thought that that guy Duke, who she saw the most, who looked the most Captain America out of all the guys, she thought his name was G.I. Joe and that the cartoon was all about that guy. So to me, that sort of, that sort of sums it all up. Duke is G.I. Joe. He's like the Captain America of the Avengers team in the G.I. Joe universe. And I, I had to pick him first. I had to go right from the top. And one of the things that I really, really like about Duke is that Duke is a field commander. This is going to be the ultimate Space Jam battle against Cobra for all of time and space. And you need a guy who's down there with the dudes battling it out because he's going to have to, like, make some on-the-spot, Johnny-on-the-spot type decisions. Gonna have to make some moves, and I, I don't know, man, there's just nobody better than Duke for that. Let's take, let's take a quick peek at Duke here in my G.I. Joe guide. He's just a beautiful action figure. He has a helmet, backpack, an M32 machine gun, then he also comes with some binoculars. I, I don't know, man, you just can't go wrong with this guy. There were, there were other options for different leaders. There was Hawk and guys like that. But I'm just like, nah, I gotta go with the first Sarge. I gotta go with Duke, the guy who's right there on the spot. Let's let's see who's number two. Who did I decide would be the best guy, most important guy to back up Duke on the field? Number two. Number two on my list is a dude who is arguably the most dangerous dude in all of the G.I. Joe universe. I speak, of course, of Team Ninja Snake Eyes. The Snake Eyes that I have in my collection is the Straight Arm 1982 OG original version. I I picked this one up at the toy show that they used to have at the uh, fairgrounds back when they used to have things out in the world. I think I paid like 60 or $65. I... I have a long history with this figure. If you guys have been listening for any amount of time, you've heard me tell that story about how I how I found Snake Eyes in the dirt at Spring Lake when I when I was a kid. This is this is the very same model of figure, not the exact same figure, but the same model of figure as that one. I just I feel a real kinship with it. I think that if you put me in a situation where there was a firefight going on, the dude I would want to have my back is Snake Eyes. Homeboy is a ninja. Dude is a Vietnam vet. Dude got his face burnt off saving Scarlet in the uh, Vietnamese jungles. Dude is an all-around icon of G.I. Joe lore. When they recently dropped the new G.I. Joe Confidential, the 6-inch series, it's out now at Walmart and Target. One of the initial guys they dropped was, of course, Snake Eyes. Another one of the dudes they dropped was, of course, Duke. So you can see, you can see these are like the key guys. These are like, this is like your Pippin and your Jordan of the G.I. Joe team. I don't know if that's exactly correct, but it is something. Snake Eyes comes with an Uzi. I think that his weapon, the action figure weapon, is just really iconic, that Uzi that he uh, packed. And he also has like, he has like a little purse that he keeps explosives in so he could blow stuff up. I always, I always thought it was really weird that Snake Eyes wasn't like one of like the super duper duper key characters on the, uh, the G.I. Joe cartoons. Maybe it's because he couldn't speak, but 
you gotta cut dude some slack, man. He got this whole front of his, uh, of his body burnt off. Protecting Scarlet from some flames, man. You gotta cut him some slack just because dude's not a, dude's not a chatterbox like, uh, Roadblock. You know, you gotta, you gotta cut him out of the cartoon. But, you know, kids don't care. Kids don't care about the sacrifices soldiers make in, uh, unnamed jungle areas. They, they just care about cool, funny, rhyming characters and things like that. I get it. I understand. But if you're gonna put together a strike force, you gotta have this guy's just for his, like, just for his ninja abilities alone, guy in those martial arts, guys can swing a katana. He's also got commando skills that he learned in the jungle, fighting the VC. He can shoot an Uzi, he can go in a tunnel, he can, uh, he can throw a bomb, he can do all kinds of stuff. Let's, let's see who's next. Let's move on to number three. Number three. The number three guy on my list, my third round draft pick for my G.I. Joe squad is a dude that goes by the name of Stalker. The Stalker that I have is the 1983 version, the the first year with the uh, swivel arm battle grip, not the not the straight arm super OG one. But I, I've had this guy for like a super duper duper long time over the years, like the uh, the front crotch piece has broken off and I've glued it back on. I did a pretty good job. It's hard to tell. And then one of his, uh, one of his thumbs snapped off and I also had to, like, put that back. I think I did a pretty decent job. I, I don't even mess with him, like, at all. He's, like, up there on a stand and I just, I don't even want to fuss with him because he's gonna fall to bits. He's just, like, he is one of the absolute OGs of my G.I. Joe collection. I've always liked the character Stalker. I like that the homeboy wears a beret. I think that that's like, that's a real, uh, that's a real alpha move going out into combat without wearing a helmet. That's like when you used to see dudes way back in the day in the NHL, like playing goalie without a face mask or like, like Rick Dempsey catching in the major leagues in the 70s without a, without a helmet. It's nuts, it's bananas. You gotta be, you gotta be super tough back in the day. Stalker ran with a street gang in uh, the mean streets of Detroit and he joined the army. I like to imagine that he joined the military for the uh, combat experience and the combat training. Like he was going to do it, learn all the moves, maybe go overseas and get some more experience doing stuff like that. And he was going to go back and run his criminal empire with like an all new set of like street skills that he could teach other guys and they could, they could take over. Like, you know, the posse in, well... I was going to name a movie, but in any number of movies, you see guys who are on the streets with military training. And I, I kind of imagine that was like what Stalker's initial plan was. But then he decided that he liked being in the army. He enjoyed the responsibility. He liked everything. In, in the uh, G.I. Joe lore, Duke and Stalker served together in Nam. When I said Duke, I meant to say Hawk. Hawk and Stalker served together in Nam, and then when Hawk decided that he, uh, that he could get the funding to put together a, uh, super squad of G.I. Joes, the first guy that he went for is Stalker. So in that sense, it could be said that Stalker is G.I. Joe, not Duke. But Duke has that Steve Rogers face. You know, he looks like, he looks like the all-American boy. You could put him on a poster. Stalker, Stalker has a mean mustache and a mean beret. He's more, he's more like Snake Eyes. Behind the scenes doing the real work while Duke's out there grandstanding. I'm just kidding. I love Duke. I love everybody. Obviously, I love Duke. I drafted him number one. Let's see what we got here in the handy dandy G.I. Joe guide. Stalker is a ranger. That is a very well-trained soldier. And he comes with an M32 pulverizer submachine gun. I've always, 
always liked his uh the design of this gun. I think it's I think it's pretty dope. Stalker was the only African American member of the 1982 J. Joe team. He was a warlord of a street gang in Detroit. It says here that uh actually the story is that Stalker's brother died. So he signed up in the army to try to uh, escape the mean streets. I, I think that could just be a cover, but at any rate, Larry Hama said that Stalker was based on a real guy that he knew in the, uh, in the NOM, but he shall say no more. I imagine a lot of these guys in the original set are based on, based on dudes that he knew back in the NOM. I heard him say that there's like a real life Snake Eyes. Like he based Snake Eyes on somebody that he knew in the, uh, in the war, I, if I am remembering correctly, he like looked up and he saw the guy in a, in a Yui, in a copter, flying off. And the, the image of like this handsome blonde guy with a machine gun and like aviator sunglasses really stuck with him. So when, when he designed the character of Snake Eyes, he started with that. And then, then he had his whole uh, friend of his body blown off. So he didn't love that guy that much. Let's uh, see who's the uh, next draft pick on the list. Oh, my mistake. We got a uh, pre-planned ad up next. This is ad space. We'll be right back after uh, after that. my guys we are back allow myself to introduce myself this is icy robots and we are at the uh i think this is number four on the list the fourth guy that i would pick is a figure that came out in 1986 and this is the guy that goes by the name of beachhead beachhead is an army ranger just like stalker i think that that is that to me is like you're bad to the bone dude you're a ranger you're like one of the dudes in the a team you're like b.a baracus you're like the face man you're like stalker. You're like beachhead. There's like there's a long history of tough guy army rangers in, in in the world of fiction. I I dig beachhead man. He has like a real intimidating look. He wears like he wears like a mask over his face, like we're all doing right now. He has like a really cool gun. It's an it's an XF seven wasp machine gun. He also has a backpack. The backpack is dope because it has like all kinds of all kinds of little details of weapons on it. He has like grenades and crossbows and knives and all kinds of all kinds of stuff there. The plural of knife is knives, not knives. But he has a knives. He has a couple knives. He also has a, a purse, like an ammo backpack. I don't have like I don't have like a super strong uh, history with Beachhead. I had him, but I got to admit to like personally, the character never really like connected with me that much. I, I kind of played him to where he was sort of like, he was like the G.I. Joe version of Firefly. Like, he wasn't a ninja, but he was silent, and he was also deadly. One of the things about G.I. Joe was this thing was just, like, rife with ninjas. I think ninjas are fine. I like ninjas as much as anybody, but it seemed like everyone in G.I. Joe was, like, a ninja at one point. So, I always appreciated having, like, a Firefly, or having, like, a beachhead, like, a dude who could wear a mask, but wasn't necessarily, like, using these Eastern disciplines as much as he was just, like, out there fighting the fight for the powers of G.I. Joe. Or Cobra, or whatever the case may be. But Beachhead is cool, man. He has, like, he has, like, a really, really great design. And I think that, like, 
it even holds up now. He just looks so bad to the bone with that uh with that mask on. I think that he would be definitely intimidating. Also, he uh he has some leadership designation. Let's let's look it up really quick on the uh on the online. This this will take like a sec. We'll find out what uh Beachhead's actual rank is. Let me um type 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 Beachhead is a He's a sergeant. He is a sergeant major. He started off as a staff sergeant as an E6 in 1986, but he moved up in 2002 to a sergeant of first class and then later up to a sergeant major. Good for him, man. He's he's moving up the ranks. It always pays to have some leadership qualities on your squad, and they say the army runs on sergeants. I know not. I was never in the military. I just like G.I. Joe and I like Beachhead. Let's find out. Let's find out who's next. Number the next guy on my list is one of my favorite G.I. Joes of all the G.I. Joes. I am talking, of course, of rock and roll, the team's heavy machine gunner. I I would pick the 1982 straight arm version of rock and roll, the one that I have in my collection. Mine, mine fell to bits over the years, and I recently had to order some uh, new arms for him, but he's all back together. He's all great. When you're when you're in a life or death firefight space jam style, you're gonna need some heavy artillery. And our guy rock and roll carries a 50 cal machine gun. That's that's massive, dude. That's gonna turn people into Albanian salads. It's gonna be it's gonna be disgusting. You're gonna get blown to bits. It's horrible. It's awful. I don't even know why. I don't even know why a kid's toy would have something so violent. But I'm glad that it did, man, because I had a lot, a lot, a lot of, a lot of fun adventures with rock and roll. Speaking, speaking of rock and roll, our guy Gino Vega, he hit me up with this theory a while back. He thinks that there is some rock and roll influence in the character of Hulk Hogan in the WWF. Both our guys are blonde. Both our guys are from Venice Beach, California. Both of our guys played bass in a band. Both of our guys got that California dude thing going on. Rock and roll has a beard. Hollywood Hulk has a beard. I can I can see the similarities for sure, but I I don't know if there was any influence as much as that's just what I would expect a guy from Venice Beach in the 60s and 70s to be like, you know, sort of sort of hanging and clinging. I would not be surprised to see rock and roll on Muscle Beach. Hitting the bench, doing some hanging and clanging, posing in front of those mirrors, taking that outdoor shower that they got there, all that stuff. Now, I knew the team needed some heavy firepower, and G.I. Joe has a couple different heavy machine gunners. You got Rock and Roll, you also got Roadblock. Roadblock is an essential character. He was played by the great, the great Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock, a.k.a. The People's Champ in the movie. So Guy, Guy is huge. The reason I went with Rock and Roll, though, is because he was humping through the jungles of Vietnam with Duke, with Snake Eyes, with Stalker. So there is a lot of familiarity between these guys. And I think that, like, one time... Space Jam style, working with guys that you've worked with before is going to be very, very, very important. They know each other. They know their moves. They know they can trust each other. They know what they're about. Not that they don't know what rock and roll is about, but these guys go back all the way to fighting the VC in the jungles of Da Nang, all the way back to those days. Whereas Roadblock, he's a trusted guy. They love him. He's great. Everybody loves Roadblock. He didn't join up till later. So when, so when everything is on the line... I'm going to go rock and roll. I don't think I could go any other way. Let's see. Let's see who's next. This list is fun. I think we're all having a great time, right? Number six. 
The next character on my list is a G.I. Joe that goes by the name of Scarlet. Scarlet is the first lady of the G.I. Joe team, and I I did have some degree of trepidation on picking her. Her her uh area of expertise is in counterintelligence. And I don't know, I don't know if that's gonna be the most important issue in like a space jam all or nothing fight, but I feel like, I feel like you can't have the final battle, you can't have the all or nothing fight without Scarlet there, she's earned it, she has been such a loyal member of the G.I. Joe team since day one, the, the Scarlet that I am going to pick for my character is the 1982 straight arm Scarlet that I picked up at the, uh, at the toy show at the fairgrounds a few years ago, I think I also paid like 65 bucks, I think I paid around the same that I paid for that I paid for as a Snake Eyes, but I didn't, I didn't buy her from the same vendor. I got her, like, early in the day, and I was, like, really, really excited, because it was one that I wanted, and I, I felt like it was a pretty, pretty reasonable price. She had her crossbow, she came with a stand, which is weird, because the OG Scarlet doesn't have footholds, which is weird, but she doesn't. Maybe it has something to do with her having, like, a smaller, smaller foot than the, uh, standard G.I. Joe guy, but she came with one nonetheless, and I, I was, like, super ecstatic to have her, I was really happy, and then later in the day, I picked up, uh, Snake Eyes, and it was just, like, just an amazing day of G.I. Joe hunting, but Scarlet, Scarlet's one of my favorite characters, she's also another one that they made in the, uh, rebooted G.I. Joe Confidentials that are out right now, I think our, our guy Engineer Nerd, at Engineer Nerd on the tweets, I think he picked her up, and he picked up Snake Eyes, these are, like, these are like the two that I probably would pick up. No, he didn't pick up Snake Eyes. He picked up Duke. I myself probably would have picked up Snake over Duke, but I don't know. I would have wanted all three, but I haven't ventured out of the house in like forever. So I don't even know if they have them at my store. But at, at, at any rate, I'm I'm rambling there. Scarlet's great. The only downside to having a Scarlet on the squad is she's going to be in the jungle fight with a crossbow, which is... Which is cool, I guess. Daryl on Walking Dead did a lot of damage with that crossbow, but I I do have some degree of trepidations. I have to admit, putting her on the team, but I feel like she has been such a key character to GI Joe lore over the years. She's the one that Snake Eyes rescued. She has just been such an integral character to GI Joe lore over the years that you gotta have her on the team. It would be like a slap in the face to everything that Larry Hama created. It would be a slap in the face to her and to just GI Joe fans around the world if she wasn't there. And hey, man, maybe she'll use those those sneaky skills. She'll get in tight and she'll uh she'll pop Cobra Commander right in the dome with an arrow, winning the fight for everybody. You never know, dude. You never know. And it's not like our gal can't like can't use a machine gun if need be. She can do whatever. Let's let's move forward and see who is. The final pick on the seven man strike force. All right, the next guy, the final guy I got on my seven man strike force of G.I. Joe's is a guy that goes by the name of Spirit. You like how I dragged it out there a little bit to kind of kind of make you wonder who was next? Spirit is one of the, he's one of the key guys on the G.I. Joe team on the cartoon in the comic, in everything. I'm going to pick the 1984 classic spirit. He's the team, he's the team tracker, but he also has, he also has like massive martial arts skills. On the cartoon, you see him go one-on-one with Storm Shadow, and Storm Shadow is a trained ninja warrior, man, and they fought, they fought hand-to-hand for a while before, uh, you know, things happened. He comes with, he comes with a gun, he has a bird, he has like a neat little tunic. Dude is, Dude is dynamite. He also has the skills of a healer that he learned from his ancestors back in the day when he was 
when he was in his youth. So he could also act as kind of, kind of, sort of act as a team medic. He's not going to be as good as a doc. He's not going to be as good as a lifeline. But I imagine he could put a tourniquet. He could uh, pull a bullet out of your gut. He could do all kinds of stuff like that. And these, these might be like... These might be important skills, but I also kind of think this is like a life-or-death one-time Space Jam battle. So, if you get shot, you get shot. You're left behind because only the, uh, only the whole goal matters. This is for, like, all of mankind. If G.I. Joe loses, Cobra rules the Earth. If G.I. Joe wins, Cobra's knocked out forever. So, even if it meant, like, even if it meant Scarlet got shot, even if it meant Roadblock got shot and died, none of this would matter. It's all for the goal. I... I had a lot of time, I had a really good time putting this list together. Let's see who we, uh, we got. We got Duke, we got Snake Eyes, we got Stalker, we got Beachhead, we got Scarlet, we got Rock and Roll. I put those two out of order, I'm doing it off the top, and now we got Spirit. This is like, this is a pretty tough team. I had to, I had a lot of factors I had to weigh in. I thought about maybe we should go with like heavy artillery guys, like, like Bazooka, like Zap, guys like that who could shoot rockets and stuff. But I said, you know, I'm going to go with who I consider to be the toughest dudes who can work as a unit. And these seven guys are bad to the bone, man. I got to gotta send a shout out to my guy Potomac from the last hometown. This was really, really, really fun. This was a good idea. Kind of switch up the show format a bit, do something different. But don't worry, man. We'll be back soon with like the normal kind of show. But uh, we're going to we're going to do like a couple things before we get out of here for good. Let's find out what our guy Gino Vega had for lunch yesterday. What did Gino Vega have for lunch? Yesterday, I see robots. It's me, Mr. Sensational, Gino Vega, calling you with an update about what I had for lunch yesterday. And now yesterday, what I had for lunch was one bowl of Trader Joe's Vanilla Almond Clusters Cereal. And the reason I had this for lunch was because I was invited to go on a hike with the family. But the hike involved a considerable drive there and a considerable drive back. And while I didn't have a problem with spending a few hours hiking, I didn't want to add the additional transportation time, so I begged off of the hike, took a walk downtown and back instead, um, because I'm no longer at the mountain retreat. I'm back in my urban residence. But um, because I did this, I missed out on getting a more substantial lunch with the rest of the family because they uh, stopped for burritos or something without me. So I was at home by myself eating a bowl of Trader Joe's vanilla almond cluster. Talk to you soon. Man, I, uh, I have cereal for lunch all the time, too. At least a couple times a week. Whatever we have in the house. You know, just like... I don't go on the shopping trip right now, just for like, just for safety reasons, you know, they recommend, you know, take as few people as possible, the wife doesn't mind doing it herself, I'm, I'm on the unload side of things, you know, she buys it, I unload it, I put it away, but we, we usually have like, some sort of a flake, like a flaky cereal, like a corn flake with something in it, or like a bran flake with like some kind of, some kind of like freeze dried fruit, there, there's a helicopter, above my house right now. There have been, like, a lot of helicopters around here lately. That's that's not really, like, important in any way. But there have been, like, tons and tons and tons of them flying over the hills. They're doing um, some kind of work out there. I don't know what it is, but it's something. I saw 
I saw a helicopter carrying like a like a girder, like an iron girder, like you know, like a construction material underneath it. That was that was interesting. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. It's always kind of cool when you see something that you've never seen in person. But anyway, I I'll have like cereal a couple times a week. Usually I'll like eat a banana as well. Something something like that to kind of kind of add to the weight of the whole thing. Cereal's good. Cereal's great. When when we have like a sweetened cereal in the house, like a Captain Crunch or something, I'll go through it like like lightning fast. I love a Captain Crunch so much. We had some like a month ago. They must have been on sale at the store cuz the wife came home with like two jumbo boxes. Not the normal box. The, like, full-on jumbo box. And I went through both of those within the span of a week. Because it's just, like, it's so good. I don't like the way that it, like, cuts the roof of your mouth. But, like, that's the price you pay for something that delicious. I think they had to add that as kind of like a kind of like a safety feature. Because otherwise, dude, you would go through the, both those jumbo boxes in one sitting. And they're so great. So they got to they gotta hobble you a little bit or else you'll... Uh, You'll eat it all. When I was younger, man, I was, like, so into cereal premiums. And I, I look at the cereal now when I go to the store. When I used to go to the store, I would look at the cereals to see if any of them had, like, any any cool prizes or whatever. But they mostly have, like, downloads. Like, app downloads or things you could download to, like, give you things in apps or things you'd have to, like, save up a few proofs to purchase to get, like, a t-shirt or whatever. I, I want, like, little plastic gizmos inside the uh, box. The last thing I saw that was like that that I can think of off the top of my head were the spoons they had for uh, Star Wars. The, um, I'm thinking it was The Force Awakens. They had like a series of spoons that would change color when you put them in the cold milk. They had like C-3PO and they had BB-8 and they had like R2-D2 and I think they had Ray, but I'm not absolutely sure about that. I have um, R2-D2, C-3PO and, um... BB-8. I don't have the other ones. At one point I had it. I found it at the dig and I brought it home. It was like in the package still and I was really excited and I don't have any idea where it ever went. I remember that day like super distinctly. I was going to finally finish up my silly uh, cereal spoon collection and um, lost it. Just completely lost in the wind. That was my one chance. Another one I remember like a few years ago. This wasn't even a few years ago. This was like many years ago. They had uh, wobblers. They were Disney wobblers in cereal. There were like they were like, uh, weebles. Especially marked boxes of Kellogg's cereal have gone wobbly. Because for a limited time only, each has one of 50 collectible wobblers. To mark the happiest celebration on Earth, the biggest celebration in Disney theme park history. Only from Kellogg's, the wobbly good part of a complete breakfast. I have a big bag full of these, and I, I have no access to it. I have, like, this one... This one, like, uh, cabinet. It's not a cabinet, it's a dresser. I have, like, a, a dresser in the garage... With a ton of stuff in it, but over the years it got like pushed up against the wall, and for some reason it's turned around, so I can't get inside of it without moving a bunch of other stuff. I could do it if I wanted to, but I I don't. Sometimes when you have like an unknown thing, like packed away, it's good to just kind of leave it for some future date when you know you'll be super bored and you can like bust it open. I know I'm not to the point yet where I uh want to get in that, but I'm getting close. We're getting there, dude. This is uh, it's uh, it's a trying time for sure. We're back to the uh back to the Disney Wobblers. They were actually like 15 years ago. I think it was like 2005. That was that was eons ago. I was a family man by that point and I was out there collecting uh collecting cereal premiums. I I like Captain Crunch premiums. I have like a save search on eBay for Captain Crunch stuff that I'll I'll like look at every once in a while. They they don't have like a lot of things that are like Captain Crunch himself like the Captain, but there's 
There's a lot of neat things. One thing that I have my eye on that pops up every once in a while, but I don't really want to spend the money on. There's a, a uh, there's an Anchor Hawking milk glass coffee cup with Captain Crunch on it. I don't know if you got it from like mailing in premiums. I don't know if you got it at the store. I have no idea, but it's like a really great cup. I dig these Anchor Hawking cups like like the most. I dig them the most. They're great. Um, let's see where where should we go from here. I. I feel like we're getting ready to uh, wind it in, but um, before before we do that, let's uh, let's take a quick look into um, WKRP. Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Could not explain the nudity. Baby, if you've ever wondered, wondered whatever became of me, I'm a WKRP in Cincinnati. I got a lot of time on my hands lately, and I, I've been going through and watching some um, some old episodes of WKRP. I say old episodes like there are new episodes. Well, there was a WKRP reboot. Back in the 90s, 80s, I don't know, but I I never saw it to be honest. I've only I've only seen the original, but I got I got this DVD set of WKRP and I've been watching maybe like an episode like every other day. I'm trying to I'm trying to really like cherish them and enjoy them. I don't I don't go for like binge watching. I don't really like watch entire things at one sitting. I like to I like to kind of stretch it out and and prolong my enjoyment. I want to have a good time for many days. Not a good time all at once. Let's see where, let's see where we left off. I think last time we talked about this, we left off on episode number three, which was where, um, Les Nesman, the, uh, Buckeye News Award winner, Buckeye News Hawk Award winner was out on a ledge, and they, they talked him back. That was episode three. And episode number four, it's called Hoodlum Rock. And this one, this one aired in October of 1978. And, the the basic idea of this one was they invited this punk rock uh, outfit to the station for an interview, and they were they were very nice and they were very polite and they were very kind. But once you got them on the air, they went bananas. That that reminds me a lot of my guy Gino Vega. This guy was punk rock to the core back when we used to work at the movie theater back in the day. He had like he had Liberty spikes. He used to wear like this vest, this like cut off leather vest with like spikes on it, like he was. He was Road Warrior Animal, and he was he was all nice and cool and polite, but then he would turn on that punk rock attitude, and he'd be, like, throwing eggs at people and, like, climbing up on things and jumping off. He was, he was pretty wild, much like these, much like these guys in this band. They said that their style was hoodlum rock, which was, like, it was even harder than punk. It was even lower than punk. Remember... Remember, like, back in the day, like, punk rockers seemed, like, super-duper scary? I remember I remember being in, like, elementary school, and they had this thing called Anarchy Alley downtown by Sawyer's News. It's just, like, a little walkway between some stores, and, like, punkers would hang out there. And I was, like, I was, like, horrified to go through there. I was, like, horrified. Nowadays, when you, like, when you look at punkers, they seem like nice guys. Kind of a quaint throwback to back in the day. A little, a little bit on the anarchy tip, but there's nothing... Nothing wrong with that one. This was, this was to me kind of just like a run-of-the-mill episode. It wasn't really great. Probably the weakest of the first, of the first four. The next one, though, was, uh, it was pretty good. This one aired the next week, October 16th, 1978. It was called Hold Up. In this one, the episode starts with a DJ interviewing at WKRP. Like, he's trying to get a job. All the while, our guy... Our guy Herb, Herb Tarlick, the uh, sales manager for the station, he set up this uh, 
this deal with a radio shop, what would you call it, like a stereo shop, where they can do like a live transmission. I just had the biggest brain fart ever right now. Like my brain just went completely blank. I had to pull it all together. But he, he organized this remote transmission from this guy's stereo shop, right? And while they're doing it, the guy who interviewed earlier comes in with a gat. He comes in with a Roscoe, with a pistola, and he holds up the transmission. He's just like... If you guys won't put me on the air, I'm going to forcefully get on the air. And he does. He gets on the air. Dr. Johnny Fever lets him take over. He does some broadcasting. That would that would be some, like, some really compelling radio. If, like, you're listening to the uh, live broadcast and all of a sudden there's, like, somebody waving a Roscoe around and they take over and just start. They get on the air. They just start doing the thing. Like, hey, this is me, Dr. Johnny Roscoe, uh, playing the hits here on WKRP. Like, he just... He just took over like it was like it was nothing. Eventually, the police come, but uh, Doctor Johnny Fever, he's he's a little sympathetic to the underground, and he uh, he fabricates some lies and lets the guy guy escape, which I which I thought was pretty good of him. This was this was one of the more famous episodes, I think, of WKRP. I recall seeing this one like many, many, many times. I I liked it though. I thought it was fun the first time I saw it, and I thought it was fun this time that I saw it. The thing that I really, really, really enjoyed was like checking out the weird stereo equipment in the background because I'm not like I'm not like Mr. Stereo or anything, but I do like stereo equipment. I like old kind of receivers and speakers and all that stuff. I'm not like an authority or an expert by any means, but I. I can't resist when I'm, like, at the flea market and I see, like, a neat piece of stereo equipment. And, like, the whole background was, like, this kind of stuff. It was good. It was good. The next one, episode number six, this is, this is a good one, too. It's called Bailey's Show, and it aired October 23rd, 1978, and it introduces the uh, character of Bailey Quarters. Bailey is, like, she's working on the programming side. She's, like, a producer who's trying to get over. She's, like, she's, like, the opposite of uh, Jennifer, who was played by Lonnie Anderson. She was like the Marianne to the ginger. I remember at the time, like, a real hot take was when people would go, you know what? I think Bailey's cuter than Lonnie Anderson when that wasn't really that hot of a take because I looked into it a little bit and our gal Bailey was like a model before she got into uh, acting. So she's like, she's a very, uh, very attractive young lady. But the basic idea of this is that she comes up with an idea for a show where you're going to let people from the Cincinnati community come onto the air and air some beefs that they have or talk about various issues that they have. And she wants she wants Dr. Johnny Fever to do the interviewing and to host the show. And she's like, I'll produce it myself. This is going to be great. This is going to be her chance to get over big time. She holds the interviews for all the people herself. She does everything for herself to try to try to produce this community show. Bailey has kind of a uh, Zoe Dachanel kind of thing going. If you ever watch New Girl, where she's kind of, kind of quirky, kind of quiet, kind of low-key, but also, also like really cool and interesting. I myself, I'm a Bailey guy more than I am a uh, Jennifer guy. That's just me. I, uh, I like glasses. I think glasses are, uh, attractive on a gal. But, um, anyway, she, uh, she has a real hard time finding the right person to get on the air. Like, everybody seems like a kook, everybody seems weird, everybody seems odd. And then she gets one guy who seems like he has some really great ideas. He's a doctor, he wants to talk about uh, educating the youth and blah, blah, blah. But once she gets him on the air, dude goes ape, dude goes bananas, dude starts talking about aliens, dude starts talking about all kinds of stuff. And this was, this was back in the day, so they rushed the booth, the big guy, Herb, Les, everybody rushes the booth. 
to get this guy off the air. I myself, I think this is pretty compelling radio. This is some Art Bell stuff. They could have been on the Art Bell tip a full, like, I don't know how many years before Art Bell. This was like, this was some gold and they didn't recognize it. I think this might be the problem at WKRP. Like they want to try some new things. They want to do some things, but they're too scared to go like completely outside the box. They're not going to go all the way. They'll do some stuff like let the DJs program the songs or whatever, but they're not going to go all the way to put lunatics on the air. And I think, hey man, worked for Art Bell. Dude became a radio legend. Dude became the biggest thing in the world outside of Howard Stern for many, many, many years just by interviewing weirdos in a very respectful manner. I don't know, man. Bailey was onto something. Maybe she, maybe she deserved better. That was, that was episode six. When we come back next time, and talk about WKRP, we're going to be jumping off with Turkeys Away, which is without a doubt the most famous episode of WKRP. It's one of the single greatest episodes of a sitcom in all of time and space. It's going to be great. We'll be we'll be back in a little while talking about that, but I think I think we're going to get up out of here. I think this is enough show for you guys. I appreciate everybody who tunes in. I hope that you guys are all doing great. I hope you're all doing well. I hope you're doing what you can do to stay sane. I'm hoping you can do what you can do to keep your wits about you. Please, please wear a mask. Please take all safety precautions at all times. I would hate to hear of any of you guys getting sick. Just last week, I found out that one of my old theater pals has come down with it. He survived. He's fine. But he was in the hospital for a period of time and he was super sick. This is a guy I know. This is a guy the wife knows. This is a guy I think Gino Vega knows. He was around at the same time, but he was at UA5. It might be that Gino's guy, Jerry, his pal on the uh, Wrestling Watch List podcast. That's one to check out. It's Gino and Jerry telling you what you should be watching in wrestling every week. Look for that Wrestling Watch List. You can find it. You can find it easily. Very easy. It's on iTunes. But his pal worked at UA5. While we worked at UA6. So it may be that he knows this guy. But I'm just I'm just saying this to illustrate. This is a real thing. This is real. So please, 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 please. Take all safety precautions. I would hate to see any of you guys get sick. It would hurt me. It would devastate me. So until we talk again. This is me, Icy Robot, signing off. Do the time. Don't let the time do you. Time seems hard right now. But you gotta believe Things are getting better. Birds are migrating again. Rains are back. Stuff's, stuff's getting better. Things are getting better. This has been an IC Robots radio production. The announcers on this program are employed by Georgia Championship Wrestling Incorporated.